Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? Stop. That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> a heads up before something bad happens. You should not send that text. Uh-oh. Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can reverse pre-diabetes and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger, put it in the glove box, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to this week's edition of WRBB News, WRBB Boston 104.9's collaboration with the Huntington News here at Northeastern. I'm Liza Rosen, one of your co-hosts here with... And I'm Bella, the other better co-host. Um, okay. This week we'll be talking about um, the Janitors Union um, 32BJ uh, that represents about 330 janitors at Northeastern um, achieving a big contract deal with um, you know their union uh, negotiations. And that will be led by our Huntington News reporter, Zoe. Uh, say hi, Zoe. Hello. Uh, Zoe, can you give us just a brief rundown of the story? Yeah, sure. So every three to four years, these uh, contracts expire for 32BJ, which is typical of union contracts. And uh, last time the contract was updated was during COVID. So negotiations were limited because it was virtual. And then COVID was really pivotal for the cleaners. And I want to emphasize that it was a hard time for them. And that's something I didn't appreciate until I started reporting on this a few weeks ago. But Negotiations opened up September 14th, and uh, mid-November, about uh, early November, actually, they uh, the union authorized a strike um, if an agreement was not reached with the maintenance contractors of New England. They were basically asking for pay increase, and then another very important aspect of this is they were asking for many jobs to be, uh, a lot of these employees, especially at Northeastern, are hired on a part-time basis, which means they are not given uh, the same amount of health benefits or just other general benefits that uh, full-time employees get. So they were asked, the union was asking for many of these part-time positions to be converted to full-time positions, um, because also being part-time, your employees, uh, employers don't have to give you the same benefits. But uh, furthermore, you, if you were to work another job, that may disqualify you from federal benefits. So it's kind of a tricky line for employees, for part-time employees to walk. But uh, about the few hours before the deadline on November, I believe it was, let me see, November 15th, 15th yeah, 15th, yeah. Uh, 
few hours before that, early morning, like 4 a.m., they reached an agreement, and that agreement included it was about 18 uh, percent pay increases of more than 18 percent and converting 500 part-time positions to full-time work across Boston and Cambridge. Yeah. So reading this story, it looks like the you know the deal was only agreed upon a few hours before the deadline. Yeah. Why did it take that long? So that's actually a question I had, but that was mm-hmm. that is that is typical of union negotiations because okay. both obviously both sides don't want to have to sacrifice what they're asking for or what they don't want to give. So uh, I was talking particularly to Frank Soltz. He's a representative for the union. I asked him, "Is is this normal for negotiations to be this tense to go on this long?" And the answer was yes. So <laughs> okay. it's not abnormal for union. Uh, negotiations to go up right into the wire. And honestly, they got settled in the morning. It could have been right before the deadline at midnight, so 4 a.m. They still had a few hours to spare. Has there been cases in the past where this Union 32BJ actually has had to go on strike? Not for a long time, and Mm -hmm. I haven't reported on that. I can't really speak to it. But I will say you can look to other cities. and um, This, across the country, especially across the East Coast, Contracts have been are currently being negotiated right now. We can look at New York City, the New York metropolitan area, and Connecticut. Their contracts are up for negotiations, but there were big wins recently in Pittsburgh and Philly and the D.C. metro area. All of them saw big pay, like historic pay increases. But, I mean, in the context of inflation and COVID, I use the word historic kind of loosely because mm-hmm. it's just following economic trends. And I think you mentioned um, that, like, after when you were reporting on this story, is that there was a lot of, like, difficulties and challenges that these workers had to deal with, Mm -hmm. and that's why, like, this new contract was so important. Can you speak more to that? Yeah, sure. So in my reporting, so I wrote three uh, stories on this. First Mm -hmm. was when the strike was authorized, but for the second story I wrote, I had the opportunity to speak to two cleaners that were part of the union, are part of the union, and one of them is a cleaner here, and so... Talking to them was great because it opened my eyes to basically just the realities of being an employee. One of them took a uh, was laid off during COVID, but mm-hmm. then brought back on while everyone was still quarantined and there were still it was still very high risk. Everyone was still in masks. Um, the other one worked consistently through COVID. So I would say the first obvious threat that they talked about was their own health. Uh, I can say for certain, I remember one of them did catch COVID and was basically incapacitated for weeks and then had to go back to work. I mean, frontline workers, you can't decide to just not work and it's not a position you can't, you can do remotely. So first and foremost is their health. Secondly, is those layoffs like that? Uh, the janitor from Northeastern was the one that was laid off. She mentioned that there was a core group of janitors that were kept on staff, but a lot of people were let go. So financial uncertainty, not being able to find a job, not having job security. But um, the other janitor who cleans at an office building, I believe Park Plaza, she mentioned that there was a lack of resources. They were not given masks. They were running short on sanitizers. And again, to emphasize this, the threat on their health was always prevalent. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like the impact of this deal, like I read... Um, from your own reporting, obviously, 
that this union, this union's workers, they clean like 90% of the commercial office buildings in Boston and a lot of like the campuses around here. Mm -hmm. So is, is this like a pretty substantial, like are there any other implications, I guess, from this? Give me a sec. <laughs> <laughs> I think this being approved, firstly, a new contract was going to happen whether COVID exists or it never happened. It was, it, a new contract was always going to need to be. Just based on the timeline that exists. Yes, how long the because of the lasts. every renewing every three to four years. But I will say, I mean, this is basically the pay increases and converting. Uh, it was 500 positions, I believe, that were converted from part-time to full-time. And I see that as the maintenance contractors acknowledging the struggles that these cleaners went through during COVID. And again, that those part-time positions being converted to full-time positions, yes, pay increases do tend to happen every time a contract is updated, but mm -hmm. those positions being converted is a major win. And so that is such a, that is a, a big, I don't even want to say advantage. That's a, that's a big win because then people, don't have to go try to work those two or three jobs, but then also lose access to maybe food stamps or federal uh, healthcare help like Medicaid, Medicare. Um, so, yeah. Good stuff, yeah. Uh, can I ask a quick, yeah, I'm gonna ask a quick question. So these uh, 500 positions that have been converted, you know, pre-COVID and post-COVID, I think we have a different outlook on what cleaning facilities means and how important it is just to prevent, you know, sicknesses that have already existed, but also, you know, COVID remains, um, especially during flu season, et cetera. Do you think that uh, the, you know, the people that kind of were organizing this contract, not the, not the union, but do you think they had maybe more of an open mind to convert these positions from part-time to full-time because of the different outlook we have on cleaning? It's hard to look into their perspective because it's not uh, typical to get information while negotiations are happening. So although I asked how are the negotiations going, I got met with the typical response, which is they're tough because at the end of the day, they want, I mean, they want to save money and they, yes, they do want to, the main, I'm talking about the contractors here. Mm -hmm. They want to protect the workers, of course, but I mean, it's hard to see into what they want. Uh, but I will say they, they met the union's demands, mm -hmm. but I think, oh, sorry. You, you, no, you, you continue. continue. Um, okay. I will say though, it's interesting cause I feel like, you know, it's interesting. I feel like with the old guard, maybe the attitude towards unions is sort of the same, which I think you were kind of alluding to, like it's still kind of the same fight every time. Um, but I feel like this year, a lot of like popular support sure. for unions has been increasing. It's yeah. Interesting. I mean, let me think about this. I think people are more conscious of unions this year, especially from what happened with the writer strike. I think people are tending to uh, focus a little bit more on what's happening, but it it just it depends what the public's interested in. And I think COVID brought uh, COVID brought this to the forefront because obviously we all were we know now what it's like to be hyper focused on being in hopefully what we think is a clean and safe environment. So the fact that without these workers, I mean, 
society couldn't function. We we need their they're, they're mm-hmm. completely essential workers, and that was definitely at the forefront of their uh, campaign this time around. Is that there is no there are no campuses, there are no office buildings, there are no stores, there's no airport, there's no MBTA, love it or hate it, without <laughs> without cleaners and. Yeah, absolutely. I may I know I'm making the same points again, but they were very clear in their demands and I can just run through them again. They wanted more wages, they wanted more or higher wages, they wanted uh more full-time positions and they wanted to be acknowledged for the hard work they put in during COVID. And that was another thing that I talked to with the two cleaners I was able to interview is that they didn't feel appreciated for their work during COVID and I know that I know that COVID was hard for everybody, but I will say, I think traditionally we don't pay enough homage to the people that are putting in the work and that are keeping our facilities clean. Um, yeah. Is there anything that the janitors union did not, uh, I guess any demands that they requested that they were not met with? So any losses, so, I guess. Um, I think because there aren't little, I'm not saying you're asking it like this. They didn't say like, hey, can you give me more money? Can you give me more part or more full-time jobs? And then, you know, 500 other little things like make sure everyone gets a water bottle and everybody gets, you know, two extra hours of overtime. They didn't have those small little requests. I think at the forefront of their campaign was really the pay increases and the more full, like more full-time positions. So it's hard to say whether maybe they were hoping for more a bigger pay increase they got 18 percent, which is what the other cities pittsburgh philly and dc that's around what they got as well um maybe they wanted more full-time positions i can't really speak to that so do you plan to interview even possibly the two employees you previously interviewed do you plan to interview them post um so that's i'm of course going to keep my finger on the pulse of this union but um Right now, they're just trying to get the exact terminology of the contract down because this is something I need to stress. It's a tentative agreement, Mm -hmm. but it's an agreement nonetheless. So right now, you know, they're still working with contractors to authorize a final contract. And when it comes out, we'll report on that because we want to continue coverage on it because it is so important to our campus. I mean, if we want to play out the hypothetical of had a strike happened, 330 janitors here i mean think about it i can't it's it would be smell is bad enough smell is bad enough i mean it would be it would have been it this would be this conversation would be going totally different how to strike happen so i'm very i'm glad that everyone got what they want again back to your original question i don't maybe they wanted to be paid more i don't know um but at the end of the day i think I think their hard work during COVID was in some ways acknowledged. And I think that we now have something of a status quo for how we need to treat these workers and how we need to treat unions in the presence of, in the presence of mistreatment, like the writers. Now everybody is like trying to uh, appreciate everybody regardless of where they stand on a power structure, because you can't have a powerful executive and a, well-functioning university without everybody without the students without the faculty without the people that service food and i mean that's why there are other unions on campus if we want to look to the graduate student union they were and that was a big thing at the beginning of the year 
they were trying to emphasize that they are necessary to a university functioning. And I mean, at the heart of it, that's what unions do. They, they tell people that, hey, we're essential and you're not gonna take advantage of us and you're, we're not here to be profit for you. We're here because we are important and you're gonna recognize that. So graduate student unions, that's a whole another conversation Mm -hmm. we could have and then also there's the dining uh workers union so yeah i feel like there's a lot of been like kind of labor organizing in around campus like you mentioned like the Mm -hmm. grad student the labor of like you know the dining hall workers everybody Mm -hmm. um but yeah that's why i was surprised kind of that they actually did get a good deal here it seems like um, because if it, was, I, if it had been Northeastern handling, I feel like I, we would have well, just... Well, I, I do want to say that yeah. this is not Northeastern specific. This yeah, is yeah. this is covering like 12.5 thousand janitors across Massachusetts and Rhode Island. It, it's bigger than Northeastern, but... Um, yeah, that's what I meant to say in the sense that like North, how Northeastern handles its own mm-hmm. unions is kind of like yeah. the, the worst scenario than what happened here. It might have, it, I mean, for sure, it could have looked different if yeah. it was just a Northeastern-specific union, but it's hard to play out these hypotheticals. And again, you don't know what, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Nobody could have, pre- I mean, who was going to predict COVID five years ago and the ch- and how that would change society? And I mean, there would have been totally a, a new set of difficulties had COVID not happened. I mean, that's why, and that's another reason why union contracts expire every few years because you're trying to meet the demands of the what the workforce currently looks like. So in another three to four years, who knows what it's going to look like? And you, as a reporter, have you always been interested in like kind of labor organizing, or is this like um, really like you no, know so working the fire with you with these stories? Um, since I'm a first year, I showed up to the first meeting and I wanted something that would put me on the map a little bit and mm-hmm. get me a story. Okay. And I didn't realize at, actually at the beginning of the year that, uh, graduate students were kind of, that was the, it was going to be a big fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so imagine my surprise, but, uh, no, I think, but naturally, I mean, I spent a lot of time doing journalism in high school and I, I don't stick to one beat in particular. I will never write sports, but everything else <laughs> okay. I'll write. Um, I just am curious. And I, I think that I now I would consider myself very interested in labor unions because just as a person, I feel like I never paid attention to the workers that make all the difference. Like the guy who drives the bus, the woman who takes out the trash, the woman who serves me dinner. I mean, I don't appreciate them. And now I feel like I see them for the work they're doing. Mm, so going forward, this is like civic issues and things like this. Is that going to be an interest? I would hope so. And I, mm-hmm. I also, I would plan to demonstrate that through continued coverage. And I hope that, I I mean, the fact that Huntington News will continue to report on it. It's not just me. It's everybody. It's, I'm, this is not a, I'm not a one woman <laughs> paper. Um, okay. I hope that people will read it. And even if, I mean, most people just read the headline. I hope people will read the headline mm-hmm. and at least acknowledge that this is an issue and that and that we need to appreciate everybody who plays a role on this campus. Awesome. Yeah, I don't have any more questions, Liza. Do you have any? I'm all good. I think that was excellent uh, coverage. Yeah, thank you so much, Zoe. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. And we're back on WRB 104.9 FM for our RBB News Show. Uh, we have Huntington News reporters here, Val and Julia. 
hear talk about a story where a former Northeastern, I think, track coach um, pleaded guilty to soliciting nude photos from student athletes and other young women uh, on and off campus. Um, I think it was a pretty widespread scheme. Uh, Julia and Val, say hi. Hi, guys. Hey. Um, do you guys want to just kind of give a brief rundown of the story? Yeah, so um, this is a Northeastern former track and field coach. His name is Steve Waith, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Um, he worked at Northeastern from, I believe, 2018 to 2019 in that area. Um, and he was one of the women's track and field coaches. Um, so in a press release that was released, I think, the day that we published this, so mm -hmm. about a week ago, um, by the Massachusetts District U.S. Attorney's Office, um, it was released that he pleaded guilty to duping women into um, sending the, him nude or semi-nude photos. Um, and also, um, within the investigation, prosecutors basically alleged that he would take female athletes' phones um, and record them while they were practicing or at mm -hmm. um, track meets. Um, and while he had their phones to kind of record their performances, he would look through them to look for nude or semi-nude photos um, and then email them to himself. Um, and there are also just a lot of other aspects, I guess, to the scheme that prosecutors um, investigated into occurring. Um, he also allegedly would email women from aliases um, seeking photos for quote-unquote body development studies, mm -hmm. um, which apparently, allegedly, according to prosecutors, he received a total of over 300 nude or semi-nude photos from multiple different women um, by basically telling them that he needed these photos for scientific studies. Um, and... There was lots of other stuff written in the press release that he basically did in order to secure these um, photos of these female athletes. Um, but it was a fairly long press release, and it had a lot of different information about yeah. um, all the different kind of mechanisms that he used in order to get these photos from these female athletes. Yeah, I mean, I'm honestly shocked at how comprehensive this is i mean you definitely yeah. touched on this and this is great great greatly written article by the way um but like i mean one of these things is like he cyber stalked one victim for five months um through texts messages via social media and hacking into her snapchat account mm -hmm. sending you know her explicit photos to the victim's boyfriend i mean i don't know like this isn't even a question it's just like <laughs> saying like wow like yeah someone would just like stoop to this level extent i mean we shouldn't be surprised but i don't know it's still very shocking i don't know yeah um but it looks like he coached track at several different universities before northeastern yeah um were there allegations that came out from those universities as well or did it just start at northeastern um i believe um from reading the press release it seemed like what they were speaking on was from northeastern students i don't know julia maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong about that, but um, it seemed like everything that would ha that had happened had happened in those years that he was employed at Northeastern. Um, but like you mentioned, this, the um, cyber stalking incident that prosecutors investigated um, happened in 2020, which was after he had been um, fired from Northeastern. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if it was made clear in the press release if those were students from one of the various university universities that he coached at. Um, later on, but 
it was mostly kind of revolving around his time at Northeastern. I mean, obviously that was kind of the big news was like former Northeastern coach. Um, But obviously like it's a little bit ambiguous. Um, But yeah, it was intentional also. Yeah. um, But yeah, especially like the cyber stalking event happening in 2020, like those that happened after he had left Northeastern. So it's all kind of. Yeah, I mean, according to um, an affidavit uh, filed in April of 2021, around the time of his initial arrest, um, one of the at least one of the cyber stalking incidents was um, it, it targeted a former um, athlete that he mm-hmm. coached, okay. where he um, sent he used this um, Katie persona and DM'd her on Instagram pictures that he had found from her phone. W- at one of those times when he was supposed to be videotaping their performance. Um, and he was like, hey, my name is Katie. Um, I found these photos of you, and, and this site also has photos of me. Can you send me more um, so that I can verify that in this picture really is you and, um, you know, things like that. And so it's interesting because he really – he was only employed by Northeastern for a few months before exactly, yeah. they – received an allegation um and started this whole title nine investigation and so yeah i think that most of um the information that um like criminal prosecutors are going on are are incidents that happened during his time at northeastern or following his termination but still um are incidents that targeted northeastern people yeah sorry just to like correct myself it the victim from 2020 with the cyber stalking um, in the press release, it was basically prosecutors were saying that the girl who um, basically he was allegedly harassing her boyfriend and sending mm-hmm. her boyfriend all of these messages and saying like sending him the pictures of her and saying like sending harassing messages. Um, and the girl was allegedly someone who was on the Northeastern track and field team. Um, so it was clearly something that was like a targeted thing at Northeastern, um, but other like from what I know and I guess from what you know, it was like f- pretty centralized around Northeastern and not the various other universities. Yeah, I mean it looks like honestly that Northeastern handled this okay-ish. Like if you know he he was hired and then fired within like the start and end of a semester essentially. Um, so I think on Northeastern's part, um, they kind of did everything they were supposed to do, mm-hmm. I guess. I'm just, like, wondering how, if this guy was this, you know, egregious, and I'm not, a- like, asking you guys to actually be able to answer this, obviously, but if this guy was so, you know, kind of perverted, really, in the extent of his behavior within just a few months, and he got caught that quickly after coming here, I'm just wondering how he made it here in the first place, you know, how he went through all these <laughs> other universities, like, you know, whether there was a previous, like, history of these kinds of cases that were overlooked or somehow, like, he was getting away with it most of the time and then only after he came here they got the Title IX complaint. I don't know. Um, well, a question I had that I think was kind of left pretty vague within, like, the press release and everything that came out officially about it was, like, I guess... I mean, it makes sense that they wouldn't be known, but the the Title IX investigation, obviously there wasn't a lot of information released about why it was said it was sexual harassment, obviously like a general term. Um, 
but I mean, obviously, Title IX investigations have to, like, stay, like, shut, and, like, obviously, they're not public information, but it is kind of interesting to wonder if, like, that could have possibly been what happened and how, you know, it took this long to, like, actually have something come out publicly about it. Um, Like, you know, there's no way to know if it was because some Northeastern track and field Mm -hmm. athlete thought that he was doing that, because that's crazy. but yeah, I mean, obviously the the Title IX investigation had to be kept like pretty, you know, behind closed doors. But that was definitely really interesting to me when I was reading the press release that that was why he left the university. I kind of expected it to be like, okay, he worked here, then he left, and then this years later came out. But the fact that he was, right. you know, had a Title IX investigation while he was here and was soon after fired is pretty crazy. Um, yeah. Do we know anything about how Northeastern? has like kind of responded or adjusted any of their behavior like since this scandal came out like has there been any fallout on campus from this um i mean uh, this just came out publicly like when we reported this um we did reach out to the university for a comment about it and all they really had to say was like reaffirming that he (laughs) has not been employed at northeastern for multiple years which is you know goes without saying um but I mean, there has been, like, this has been one of those stories that we've published that has gotten a lot of traction, especially on social media. Like, people are really, you know, disgusted by it. Um, But Northeastern has, not to my knowledge, made any sort of statement about it. We're also, like, there's just always these things happening on campus, and usually the university will say something about it, and they haven't said anything about it. Um, Not to, like, get off track, but Mm -hmm. the admissions counselor story that also happened they haven't said anything about that and that was even more like terrifying because he actually works here um but yeah I mean we were kind of expecting to hear something from the university but I do think that it's possible that they're not super worried about it because it has been a while since he has worked here and maybe they feel like it's not necessary um but yeah I mean that was all that we heard from the university I think they just want to make sure it's known that you know he hasn't worked here in many years um yeah yeah, yeah. and i oh i'm sorry just for clarity um the admissions counselor story that we're referring to is about um a current or recently fired i'm assuming admissions counselor um who was found guilty of having you know child pornography or child like sexual abuse material um is the term on his computer and being in like zoom chats with other men watching this stuff um it's very disgusting and yeah that's that's for context yeah Yeah. continue (laughs) yeah i mean as far as like the north or the university commenting on everything like i know initially when he was first arrested in 2021 right um we also published a story on his arrest then and at that point the university said um, well, you know, we're, we've provided counseling services to the people affected and we've cooperated um, with the local law enforcement and whatever else. But um, I'm, doesn't the university have a policy about commenting on active criminal cases or something? Probably. They like they don't like to anyway. Um, so I don't I don't even know if they're like allowed. To, they have like, you know, like I said, they've sort of commented on how they've aided the victims in the past. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, recently, I don't think we've really seen anything. I guess a question I um, have, you know, this isn't the first time, not specifically at Northeastern, but we've seen um, a male coach 
you know, abuse, um, however it is, his um, female athletes. I think, do you, do you think there's something that Northeastern will implement and maybe not just Northeastern, but universities across the world should implement to try, I guess, to, to snake out these people who, you know, are, are in this, maybe in this sport because they love the sport, but also for these other motives? That's a great question. I mean, I think, like, as far as any sort of, like, screening or anything, I guess it's just important to, like, maybe gather feedback from the athletes. Cause, <laughs> from previous athletes? Right, yeah. And, like, previous athletes and also, like, just in general, I feel like ongoing, like, people who – coaches who are working at Northeastern, like, because of the fact that he did have a Title IX investigation against him so quickly, it's, like, it was – it's you can – It's not – it can't be a new – Yeah, figure. like, and also – I feel like most women know when, like, somebody doesn't have, like, the best, like, whatever about them. Um, Vibes. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I do think that as far as Northeastern, like, it would be beneficial to, like, hear from athletes, hear from former athletes just about um, their experiences with a coach. I don't know, Julia, you have anything to add to that? No, I think because, I mean – I'm sure that they already have background, or I would hope that they already have, like, a background check sort of thing in place. But if somebody hasn't been convicted or charged or whatever prior, like, how Mm -hmm. are they supposed to know that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I think with, you know, with technology these days, too, it's hard because the background check that is done on you doesn't include your computer search history, let's say. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wonder, you know, what what there can be done to, I don't want to say make that happen, but. Right, because, like, that kind of stuff, uh, like, you can't just say to somebody, you know, I don't, no, forgive me, I'm, like, not super technologically (laughs) savvy, but you can't just be, like, what's your IP address, right? Because that's a huge invasion of privacy, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And also, like, an absurd amount of work for Mm -hmm. the people looking into potential Mm -hmm. employees, right? Um, I think I'd be really interested, um, you know, I, I, I feel like I um, this story like t- touches touches home a little closely. Mm-hmm. I have a bunch of friends here on you know the women's rowing team, um, a few mm-hmm. other athletics teams here, and I feel like you know while that may be a big invasion of privacy because it is, um, at the same time you know is that a worthy trade mm. for someone who's going to be you know, with these students, these athletes, these people every single day, mm-hmm. you know, seeing them in, you know, some, some sports outfits aren't, aren't the, aren't the <laughs> yeah. best. Volleyball, mm-hmm. volleyball. Uh, volleyball, I mean, all, yeah. of, all of them. I yeah. mean, like, this, this zooms out to, like, a, a whole greater issue of, like, do we need to be protecting our athletes more? I also think, like, it's, I mean, I never really played team sports, but I feel like, athletes get like have a super close relationship with their coaches often and like really trust them and like it's a it's a breaking of trust and there's obviously a reason that these girls would hand over their phones to him and Mm -hmm. let him record their performances you know it's because they probably trusted him and like you know it's obviously awful to be able like break break that trust um but yeah I mean it's also just like this was just so crazy to me because it's like they're finding these search history like searches and it's like how to hack someone's snapchat Mm -hmm. and it's like 
you're really googling that yeah. like <laughs> are you an idiot like yeah i don't like i think yes. like it, it could really be like worth it to like find a way to like ask to see those things um because it can be like so in your like just right in front of your face like i mean if you think about like the larry nasser stuff with yeah, the no. usa gymnastics yeah, team exactly. right like it's not even just that these people interact on the field or on the quarter, you know, whatever they play on. But, I mean, like, these coaches are in their locker rooms. They're mm-hmm. not in a creep. I mean, hopefully not in a creepy way, but, like, watching them change and, like, right, like, they get to know each other on a very personal level. And like in so those vulnerable, vulnerable moments. Exactly, moments. right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it's worth it to protect mm-hmm. our athletes, especially, like, our female athletes. Yeah. Liza, I have a question for you. Shoot. <laughs> for once. Um, do any of your friends on these sports teams, have they ever expressed, like, a fear of this kind of thing happening to you? Um, not specifically, no. I think um, – Like, it's not on the radar as much? No. So uh, the majority of my close friends that are on sports teams are on the women's rowing team, and their coach, um, Joe Wilhelm, he seems to be, you know, a great – great person who is actively you know trying to protect his athletes I Mm -hmm. think um sometimes maybe that doesn't come across um through like the workouts that they have to do because sometimes (laughs) those can be hard that's just crew though that's just that's just crew yeah um but no I think I I haven't heard you know and I I check in on them all the time especially after this you know like how are you doing with this because this you know what uh, the the circle of athletes it's like a not a, click isn't the right word, but it's a close family, mm-hmm. let's say. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing is that I think looking at it differently of, you know, there's a difference between, let's say, like a middle school soccer coach and then a coach of a collegiate team. You mm-hmm. know, that's that's working with 18 to 22-year-olds, maybe even mm-hmm. older than that, you know, with eligibility these mm-hmm. days. There's like 25-year-olds mm-hmm. on teams. I'm like, are you not like yeah. <laughs> a millennial? Right. <laughs> um, but I think that's, you know, it's, I don't want to say difficult because it's, it's not difficult. Like, don't, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's a difference in how you perceive your athletes, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. I will but say. this stuff happens all the time. All yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me sick. Mm-hmm. I just, for reference of how much time, like I, I, so I rode in high school mm-hmm. and I spent more time with my coach than my father. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like, and I was super tight with my coach, you know, love him, miss you. I babysat his dog on his mm-hmm. wedding night. Like, yeah. you, you know, it, there was a close bond there. But I, like, if that ever happened to me that I found out that, you know, he was involved in anything, I think I would be sick to my stomach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's betrayal. Zero words, yeah. Yeah, I think it sucks because it's like, I think, like, I mean, I'm not going to speak for all women, but I think as a woman, I would say, like, I think I do have, like, the abstract fear of, like, some kind of, like, exploitation or whatever happening, but I don't necessarily fear it from anybody specific. I mean, thank God. But, like, you know, like, I think it's, like, you know, even though maybe as a woman, like, we're aware of, like, those kinds of threats in the abstract, um, it's still happening, like, from someone specific, I think, would be such a betrayal. So that really sucks for those athletes. I don't know. Um, So, yeah, hopefully... You know, Northeastern with any future, th- like athletes or I mean, future coaches, handle these handles these kinds of things appropriately. I mean, it looks like they did in this case. Um, maybe the background check could have been a little stronger. Who's <laughs> to say? If there wasn't any previous reports, then I guess there's really nothing that they could have done. 
and that opens the kind of privacy thing versus checking people's browser history for like how to hack your athlete's Snapchat or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I guess it's good that the privacy of the victims is more or less being protected so mm-hmm. far. Yeah. Since digital footprints and all. Yeah. I don't know if I have any other questions. Do you, Eliza? I don't know. Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you. All right. This has been WRB News. Um, thank you for listening. We'll be back next Friday at 8 again. Yeah. Thank See you. See you then. Bye. Bye.